This is a podcast for Functional Ecology, a British Ecological Society publication. Hello everyone, today I'm very delighted to share this special BES podcast episode. Um, This episode is being released as part of the British Ecological Society's Black History Month blog series initiative. This is for the UK Black History Month in October. And the purpose of this is to provide a platform for black ecologists and to showcase the fantastic work and research that they are doing. On that note, I'm delighted to welcome Sandra Sandra Clement Nguessan for today's podcast. Sandra is a PhD candidate at the Xenopolos Aquatic Ecology Lab at Trent University in Ontario, Canada. And her study focus is on the role that aquatic animals play in the cycling of nutrients in lakes and streams. Hello, Sandra. How are you? Hi, Frank. Very good. How are you? Yeah, very, very good. Very delighted to have you on. So thank you very much for taking the time. So uh, we'll just kick things off um, with some introductions. Uh, Who are you? Where are you from? And what are your research interests? So my name is Sandra Clement Nguesson. I'm a PhD candidate, um, as you mentioned, in Exonopolis Lab at Trent University in Ontario, Canada. And um, I'm originally from multiple places. So my dad is from Côte d'Ivoire and my mom is from Tunisia and France. And I grew up in different countries. So um, I guess mostly in Africa and then in North America. And I've been really fortunate to travel a lot uh, growing up up until now. So... I guess I would consider myself kind of a global citizen. Yeah, that's fantastic. Wow, Côte d'Ivoire and Tunisia, was it? Côte d'Ivoire, Tunisia and France. Wow, amazing. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you visit a lot? Do you spend time there? or? I'm actually going to France next week, so that one is really exciting because I haven't been back in six years. Um, Côte d'Ivoire is the one that I visit most often, um, every two years usually. And then Tunisia, having been back also for six years and hoping to be there next year. Wow, amazing. And in well, from being the global citizen that you are, um, would you say that, I mean, does, does growing up in all those places, those different places, did that have an impact on your desire to become an ecologist? Did it inspire you in any way? Or yeah, what, what was the role? Yeah. Um, so, well, first of all, it exposes you to different ecosystems. So, uh, you know, in Côte d'Ivoire, already in that one country, there's different ones from this, you know, if you go from south to north. So in the south, you have more of the typical tropical rainforest um, that we would imagine in, in sub-Saharan Africa. But uh, there's also kind of a more arid savanna-like t- type of ecosystems further in the north. And then in Tunisia, um, it's kind of temperate ecosystem close to the, the water, um, but you also have the desert. And then in Kenya, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Kenya is actually one of the places I've lived in. Uh, so in Kenya, I really got to see the savanna, the real savanna, quote unquote, with all the different wildlife there. And so all of this definitely shaped um, my interest in nature, I was really fortunate to be in nature a lot, take a lot of hikes growing up, and I've just always been curious. I've always felt comfortable. I think that's the first thing. I've just always felt comfortable and at peace being in nature. 
and and I guess also growing up next to water, so the Atlantic Ocean in Côte d'Ivoire and then the Mediterranean Sea in Tunisia, I've been very exposed to water and fish, especially mm-hmm. uh, eating fish. <laughs> <laughs> and so it definitely spiked my curiosity to, uh, you know, be swimming in these immense bodies of water and, and wonder what is happening across all these depths, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what brought you on to nutrient cycling in lakes and streams? Eventually. I mean, I was not really thinking about nutrients then. But <laughs> uh, as I said, definitely was interested in fish. Always found them really cool to look at, swimming, doing their thing. And I guess it's through my studies in my undergrad, both um, in courses, but also uh, by having different research experiences with fish, that one, I got, I mean, it was confirmed for me that doing work with fish was fun. And then two, I was really fascinated with the ideas of cycles, especially in ecology, you know, um, how everything is related, which to some extent relates to my personal experience that, you know, growing up in different places, we have this wide range of diversity, but we're all connected. You know, we're all can relate uh, through values, through our just humanness. And I just wanted to study that in an ecological context. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. So I have to ask, what's your favorite fish? (laughs) Ooh, That's a difficult question. See, I have a bit of an imposter syndrome with, with fish in the sense that especially in Canada, you have a lot of people who grew up fishing, you know, so they really know their fish and all. I, I've really only fished for science, so I'm not a huge um, expert. Uh, but here in Canada, there, there's a fish that's really pretty. Uh, um, there's two. There's pumpkin seed and then there's uh, the trouts, uh, including brown trouts. So I would say these are definitely in my heart but I've also had the chance to do field work in the Caribbean and Indian Ocean and there of course the, all the fish are just all so pretty so all of them would be my favorite <laughs> no, there's no imposter syndrome there I'm going to say you're an aficionado and that is very much pun intended with that. <laughs> um, okay good wonderful uh, and what research are you working on now can you delve into the specifics of anything that you're up to at the moment? Yes. So as you've mentioned it, I'm, I'm really focusing on the role that animals play in the cycling of nutrients in all my thesis chapters and even in side projects. So um, essentially I look at the nutrient content of their urine and relate it to different factors. So environmental factors such as the cell organic matter, um, both in its uh, concentration and composition. I relate it to their just taxonomic classification, which species are we looking at, mm-hmm. and um, to their trophic position. And because I'm doing it in lakes and streams, it also allows me to have this kind of multi-ecosystems perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and in general, I, I also work with scales. So, you know, when we estimate the... So the the jargony term is nutrient excretion by animals. Um, We look at it at the individual level, but then you can scale it up to the population and then to the community because I I sample a variety of species uh, from both uh, the vertebrate and invertebrate 
um, taxonomic uh, worlds. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I really like that multi-scale approach. Okay, wonderful. Thanks. And um, something that we, we always want to ask is, is there anything you're looking for at the moment? You know, it's this is your chance to speak to the to the listeners who are ecologists, um, you know, anything like collaborators. I know you're at the Zenu Pilots lab um, at the moment, so I'm sure you're, you're all set, but anything that, you know, help with something, something to do with your research, is there, is there anything that you'd like to say to the listeners on that? I'm definitely always happy to collaborate. Uh, something that's, you know, been at the forefront of my mind for a long time um, since I grew up mostly in Africa has been to contribute to the research ecosystem there. And I've been fortunate to get some research experience in Côte d'Ivoire. And now I've recently collaborated with colleagues in Kenya who are a part of um, ACARE, which is the African Center for the uh, for African um research and education, basically focusing on East African Great Lakes. And so um, I think I'm particularly interested in people who work in that region um, to kind of have more collaborations and potentially, um, you know, think about research post PhD because I'm hoping to be done in the near future and uh, would be interested in doing a postdoc. So I think anything related to fish and water and um, the African region would be of interest to me. And the second thing that I've been interested on recently is uh, knowledge co-production, which is something um, that is really looked at here in Canada. Uh, with uh, the Indigenous communities. And so I'm interested in kind of uh, developing um, frameworks that are specific to, um, I guess, the African context um, that also use that approach of basically designing questions and projects um, and the whole, um, I guess, study um, by by doing it collaboratively with communities that depend and benefit and have um, a strong um, local relationship with body of water that we're um, interested in in, in working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, local community stakeholders, that type of thing. Wonderful. Cool. Well, I was about to ask you where your dream field work would be, but I suppose you've kind of answered that with the African Great Lakes. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so moving on uh, to the next part, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about Black History Month. You know, um, this is yours is in February in America, in the States and that kind of region here. It's in October, um, but obviously on a similar vein, it's a chance to celebrate black history, heritage and culture and iconic figures who have made an impact. Um, so I wanted to ask you what or who your role, your black role models are within ecology or beyond. Um, so within ecology, I would say Wangari Matai, or I said it in a French way, I don't know why, but <laughs> I guess I learned about her when I was in French school in Kenya 
And so, um, yeah, she's, uh, so I don't know if anyone knows her in the audience, but she's a, a Kenyan woman who was really a trailblazer in, in tree conservation and just in general in, in environmental protection in Kenya, especially post-colonization or post-independence. And, um, and for me, she really represents resilience and, and she has this approach of really tapping into her ancestral history and relationship with the land um, to, um, to design strategies and initiatives that fit well with the local communities, fit well with the people of Kenya and are not just using standard, um, I don't know, frameworks that have been designed elsewhere yeah fantastic and beyond ecology is there anyone you'd like to absolutely um life is way is way beyond ecology (laughs) um but um beyond ecology you know classic nelson mandela um definitely him and and martin luther king being um symbols of peace and reconciliation and and, and resilience as well, of course. And um, on a personal note, so uh, on my dad's side, I'm uh, I'm Baule, and so in our history, uh, Baule people came to be after the Queen Abrahapoku um, left uh, what is now called Ghana to go to to Cote d'Ivoire and. Um, as they were on their way, they um, came across a river and the people could not cross it. And so the story says that she had to sacrifice her only kid um, to be able to cross the river because I think after hippos or crocodiles, some animals basically came and allowed them to cross the river. And so... As a woman, and given my ancestry, uh, this uh, strong figure of a woman leader um, who's compassionate but also strong and is able to make that kind of sacrifice for her people is uh, very telling. And then one that is more uh, contemporary um, would be Rokaya Diallo, um, who's a famous French journalist, filmmaker she has all hats and she's very she has a strong voice in the um, in any type of systemic racism in in France and beyond and so she's been uh, part of of several really cool initiatives including including a podcast called Kif Tahas which really talks about all aspects of um, discriminations in France and so I really admire her for her work. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to pick up as well on the initial question about a black ecologist who inspires you, because you did come out, you did come out with an answer quite quickly. But I think in other discussions that I've had, um, sometimes people struggle to, to, to think of someone because it is a very white dominated um, discipline, isn't it? So um I wanted to ask what you thought about your experiences as a black ecologist, about um, 
things that were possible barriers, if there were any, anything that you can talk about that if things were different and if, you know, we didn't need to do, to, to talk about these things because, you know, everyone just got along. It's a real simplification, but you know what I'm getting at. Is there a, is there a sort of points in your, in your journey to becoming an ecologist where you've picked up on something like that or experiences that can speak to that? Yes, uh, maybe not specifically as an ecologist, but more as a person, as I was on this identity journey, which never ends. And so as a teenager, I was fortunate to receive as a gift a book, which I have right here, which is called Mes Etoiles Noires, My Black Stars, by Liliane Thuram, who used to be a famous soccer player in France, um, from the Caribbean. And... Um, this book was really powerful for me because it basically talks about all Black people throughout history that we don't talk about and don't mention who have uh, made incredible contributions in all spheres. And so, you know, it, it says from Lucy to Barack Obama, basically. And um, and I, I don't know if there were specifically ecologists there, but there were definitely scientists and there were just, just leaders in different spheres. And just having that already um, was a, a powerful uh, moment for me to see that well, we can contribute in, in all spheres. That's one thing. The second thing where I think I was very um, lucky and privileged is the fact that I grew up um, in Africa and specifically when I was in Sub-Saharan Africa. So, you know, I was surrounded by people who looked like me. Um, and uh, I, I think especially during my studies, I, I got to meet um, ecologists there, got to meet several uh, Ivorian ecologists and talk with them and and have some mentor re mentorship relationship with them. And so that didn't hinder my ability. Well, actually, it just definitely made me see that it was possible for me to continue on that route. And then um, specifically in our history in Côte d'Ivoire, um, there is um, a very famous botanist uh, who has, I guess, um, made a strong impact by using uh, again, indigenous knowledge of medicinal plants and has basically looked at the biochemical compositions of their, of those plants and, and really brought that knowledge uh, at a larger scale. And um, just knowing that this was part of our history made me really drawn to, again, continue on that path. Yeah, wonderful. So, so you think, I think, so you think sort of growing up with that visibility, with being able to see people that you recognized as representing, you know, like that, that, that helped a lot. Yes, definitely. Um, seeing people, talking with people, that definitely helped. And I guess um, my upbringing too, I was fortunate to um, be raised in a way where, uh, I was never told that I couldn't do anything. There were limits or anything. And I was very much encouraged to pursue any of my passions. So 
for me, the sky was the limit. Yeah, amazing, wonderful. So I, I, I wanted to ask, because you talked about ecologists in Cote d'Ivoire, um, and, you know, they, they will be doing essential work, they will be doing really important research, but there seems to be the focus is always on what's going on in Western countries and what, you know, what, what research they're up to. Um, is there anything that you can think of or that you'd like to say about how to increase the visibility or, you know, it's, it's probably, I would imagine, but, you know, I don't, I don't know whether I'm speaking for our listeners or not, but, um, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of the ecologists that they'll read and study will 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 be doing research in the West. Um, so it just seems like there's there's all this stuff going on over there and it's just it just doesn't receive the attention that it warrants. You know, um, I just wanted to ask if you have any idea about, you know, how to direct people towards it and to look there because, you know, it's it's essential. I don't know if I have recommendations on how to direct them there, but I certainly have some with regards to barriers. That's actually a topic that's very dear to my heart. Um, so yes, indeed, there's a lot of cool and important and impactful research done in Africa and not many people know about it because for some reason we're not really uh, part or invited or encouraged to be uh, on that global scientific uh, sphere. And there's many reasons to that. Financial, first of all, you know, all these paywalls for journals or um, um, the high cost for registration to conferences, visa issues, um, etc. And, and also just how costly would be just even to get there. The fact that a lot of the conferences happen in the West, why don't they also happen elsewhere in the global South? Um, so that this is one thing. The second thing, and especially speaking from Côte d'Ivoire, which is a Francophone country, is language, language barrier. Um, we speak French and um, Unfortunately, fortunately, I don't know, but English is the lingua franca for research. And that's a, a larger conversation that goes beyond, um, I would say, Africa. But in general, um, the fact that research is really done in English is really poses a real barrier to all the people in the world who speak so many types of languages and who have to pay also this extra cost of, of effort of learning the language at an academic level and still trying to quote unquote perform at the level that's required if you wanna be, um, again, quote unquote, successful in academia or in research. And so um, that's a big thing. Pe uh, people who cannot or have challenges overcoming that language barrier have um, more troubles publishing in journals that would be read by other people um, or well-known and get their, get them that um, visibility. So for me, it's, it's really um, thinking carefully about these, all these costs and, and really changing um, those barriers. 
Um, rethinking also the language languages that we use um, in research and thinking about, you know, having abstracts in different languages or having more um, assistance for people who speak other languages that are not costly, you know, not like having to go pay an editor or some some translation com- person outside to, again, try to, to publish, but have those services uh, provided by uh, societies like yours, for example. Um, so these are, these are the um, uh, options. Um, and then um, I think things like what you're doing right now, but going beyond the, um, I guess, diversifying the diversity that you're looking at, you know, um, and, and, and knowing that, um, research is, yeah, definitely not only done in the West or specific countries and going to those places, reaching out to those people from those places to also speak from their experience and, and provide that, uh, perspective. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for answering that. Um, yeah, we could talk about that all day. But um, so just to the penultimate question, I'd just like to ask if you'd like to shout out any peers, any people who helped you along the way, anyone who, who you can think of that um, that has helped to form you into who you are today. Absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, of course, the shout out would go beyond people who are black because you know I don't only operate in a black world and there's been a lot of people who have been helpful who are just from all backgrounds so all my mentors you know my current supervisor who's been a real champion uh, for me and for all the activities um, extracurricular activities that we'd be part of so Maggie Xenopoulos um, my previous supervisors, Anna Hargreaves, um, a lot of women role models that I've had um, as I've been going through my studies. I've been really fortunate. I've I've just seen women all over for me. So being a woman scientist is not an issue for me in that sense. Um, and um, specifically for Black ecologists, um, one of my mentors who's who's such a um, supportive and, and wonderful person is uh, Swan Gordon, who is a professor in the U.S. And um, I would also shout out to uh, uh, an auntie mentor, uh, Annick Tahiri, who is a professor in Côte d'Ivoire. Um, and then to researchers at uh, ACARE that I mentioned uh, that really aims at protecting and researching African Great Lakes. So Kevin Obiero, Zefa Jode, Alfred Aceng, um, and um, the African Women in Science, um, which is a program um, happening there. And, and all these women who participate to that program are really going to change the face of uh, ecological research in, in Africa, I know. So shout out to them all. Amazing. That's wonderful. I mean, it's it's so great to hear all these different names and all these different projects, you know, it really just does go to show that all you have to do is just look, you know, open your eyes. And um, so just to finish up, uh, the theme for this year's uh, UK Black History Month is time for action, change, not words. Um, so I suppose I wanted to ask what you thought about that, whether whether that that there's anything you'd like to say on that um, 
from your own experience or just just from other experiences that you know of you know um what's i suppose we could we could frame it in a, in an ecological sense and say what is the change that needs to happen in ecology and if you wanted to take on the mantle and try and do it for wider society i i i would more than welcome that but we'll we'll stick to ecology for the moment but time for change action not words um i it's a tough question and yeah i certainly don't have all the answers at all one thing i feel which has been a big focus in the past few years is equity diversity and inclusion and that really includes all sorts of diversities you know and as we just mentioned it's it's not just diversity based on the color of our skin but you know cultural diversity linguistic diversity um, gender diversity, experiences diversity. And so uh, I think keep, uh, keeping our eyes open, as you said, to all these things that you may not think about uh, is important. Asking questions to people, recommendations for other people, and, and also is also moving, traveling, you know, um, going what's happening out there in places that you haven't been. Just to finish up, there was something that someone said in a blog post, and I should drop their name because it's rude of me to not do it. It's Nasifi Batani. Um, she just she just did a blog post for us today, uh, and she's got a really nice part in that blog post where she talks about how essential it is for um the functionality of systems to have diversity and i think you know we are not the exception in that um as human beings we you know that that rings true in in every single facet of life so yeah um entirely agree with opening our minds to different opinions different people different backgrounds is absolutely essential to um equity and diversity right well can i add one more thing that just came up to my mind. Um, I think another thing that's important to think about is, um, you know, the, the basically how Western science was built, that system, um, academic system, and and I guess the work culture, the expectations behind it. I know work is being done to, you know, look at these metrics that are supposed to indicate success and all those things. And that has direct impact on the ability of some people to also access um, these fields. But I think it's it just just goes beyond, and it's for all of us in terms of our mental health and you know our ability to just be humans. And so I think cultivating a more compassionate heart um, and more compassionate outlook to the way we do things in academia and in ecology would also be helpful in making things better. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, cultivating. I'm definitely going to use that for the title of this podcast. It's a great word um, and very appropriate and rings very true. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I just want to thank you for your time today. It's been a really great discussion. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I just I just want to say thank you from me and the listeners for your time, Sandra. My pleasure. Thank you, Frank, and everybody listening. 